Okay, welcome to High Cheese with Darren Maloney. Today is Friday, November 18th, 2022. So here we are, 10 days after the election, and we're still not finished. We're still waiting for results from Arizona, which is a mess, and California. Now, isn't this an embarrassment to the world? Here we are, a country that accuses other countries of having illegal votes, illegal elections, and we can't even get our own act together here. And this has been going on for years and years. So I'll get into this later, but let's talk about what we know right now. We know that the Republicans have taken the House, and right now, I think it's AP says that 219 Republicans and I think 212 Democrats. And the Republicans go as high as uh, I think 222 or 223. And after all said and done, that's not a bad day. We've taken over the House. Nancy Pelosi is gone. Now we know going into the election, a lot of us thought it was going to be much greater than it was. But this is not Donald Trump's fault. A lot of people are looking to blame Donald Trump. But again, I'll get into that later. Nancy Pelosi's gone. The Republicans are now taking over the House. They have investigative authority. And that's a good night. So instead of winning a basketball game by 40 points, we won by six. Big deal. We got the victory. A win is a win. The other thing you have to understand is that there were more Republicans that voted than Democrats in this midterm election. Now, the issue is how these votes were distributed, but I think it was 52 to 48 approximately Republicans to Democrats. And I think it came out to uh, over 4 million more Republicans voted than Democrats. Now, how can that be a bad thing? Are you blaming Trump for that? So there's so much to be happy about for election day. But... The rhinos, the Democrats, and the mainstream media want to drag this thing out and pound Trump. Because quite frankly, they've been looking. They've had enough of you. They've had enough of me. They want to go back to the old days when they were in charge, when they could screw the average American worker. Where minority workers that were just coming to this country legally are being undercut by illegal aliens where African-Americans were having their highest employment rate. They don't want that. They just want to be in charge. And I think this extension, this drawing out of this election, I think it, it coincides with a window of opportunity to just trash Trump, try to get Trump out of here. And with that said, I want to go to a clip. It's by Rob Schmidt. Rob Schmidt has a really nice program on Newsmax. And I'm going to play a clip by him. And then we'll come back to, and discuss because he kind of sums up what's going on right now. So let's see the clip. All right, welcome to Rob Schmidt tonight. Rupert Murdoch and his allies running the world's most powerful conservative media empire have just four more days to destroy Donald Trump before he announces a 2024 run for president. And today, the mission intensified rapidly. The New York Post this morning has Trump as Humpty Dumpty the one who couldn't build a wall, they said, and had a great fall. And the GOP's, or can the GOP's men, put the party back together again. That's the cover of the Post. Murdoch's other print powerhouse, the Wall Street Journal, from the entire editorial board. Trump is the Republican Party's 
biggest loser. That's the big headline from the Wall Street Journal. So an all-out assault to kill the MAGA king is upon us. We knew it was coming. We pointed out last night in great detail the evidence in what happened in this midterm doesn't really support their narrative, even though they want to push a certain narrative. And that was from, I think it was November 9th. Schmidt hits the nail on the head here. And I'd like to take it a step further, and I think a lot of this was coordinated. It was fast-tracked once people realized that we weren't going to take as many seats as we thought in the House, and we weren't going to take as many seats as we thought in the Senate. So let's blame Trump. Let's put up the blame on Trump. John Puffund came out with a column in the New York Post, I think. So it's all Trump's fault. They all love to rely on these exit polls, which are the worst polls to take. They are no, they give absolutely no scientific ind- indication where the voters are. We don't know that yet. We may never know that. But Puffund, oh, let me just m- mention about Puffund. John Puffund changed his name to F-U-N-D. I don't know. People that change their names, it's too chameleon-like. They come across as too chameleon-like. And maybe he's just being a chameleon here, Puffund. Then there was another article. I think this was also in the Post. Post has really come out hard against Trump. So they cite, I think, two polls. Now, how do you get a poll together in a couple of days? Got to rush this stuff through. These aren't polls. These are just opinion pieces that's wrapped around a poll. So they say, I think it's a YouGov poll. That says, oh, people are losing faith in Trump. Republicans are losing faith in Trump. And then there was another poll that was sanctioned by the Club for Growth. Now, remember, the Club for Growth is a cheap labor organization that wants open borders and wants you to be paid less. It's okay if they're paid more, but they want the working men, the middle-class people in this country to be paid less because that's more money for them. But they came out with a poll that said, oh, people are leaving Trump left and right. They had enough of Trump. So they've condensed this all in this short time frame. Did they really think Trump was going to cower? Did they really think Trump was not going to announce his candidacy when he already set the date? If there's anyone to blame, it's these rhinos and Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell gave no money to Masters in the Arizona race. He trashed Oz, Herschel Walker, J.D. Vance, among other Republicans. Oh, they're just not quality candidates. Now, if you want to affect the independent voter, McConnell, go out and trash your own candidates in your own party. He was spending $9 million against a Republican Senate candidate up in Alaska. How's that working for you? Let's take a look at Karl Rove. Karl Rove's running ads in Pennsylvania against the Republican candidate for Governor Mastriano. And this advertisement does nothing than just confuses people, which doesn't help Oz. So who knows what he was trying to do here. But he didn't help Oz. He didn't help any of the Republicans with these ads. They love to tell you that. Oh, Trump. It was all Trump's fault. They should have been more rhino-like. And then we would have won. Oh, really? Let's take a look at Colorado. The Senate election in Colorado. O'Day versus Bennett. O'Day was the rhino. He got blown out by 14 points. He wanted no part of Trump. He ran away from Trump, and he lost by 14 points. How, how did that get you, Mr. Rhino? 
Mr. Rove, Mr. McConnell. So again, it's this whole psyop that they're trying to play on you. Ah, oh, Trump's bad. It's all his fault. Trump supported J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance won. And remember, Trump was the guy that turned Ohio solid red. There was no rhinos out there that did that. It was Trump that turned Ohio solid red. Ted Budd won in North Carolina. And we have Herschel Walker, which is pending. And you have Governor Kemp, the rhino, although he does run a good get-out-the-vote operation. He did very little help for Walker. He won comfortably as governor, but you didn't see him actively helping Walker. Why not? He's got to take some blame here for the runoff. So I said in my previous episode, McConnell is funding Kemp's get-out-the-vote operation in this runoff for Walker. So Kemp agreed to use his operation, and they're getting paid for it. But he's going to loan his operation to Walker to get out the vote. That's the least he can do. Because quite frankly, I think he screwed Herschel Walker. How about up in uh, New Hampshire? Sununu. Sununu won big as the gubernatorial candidate, the Republican gubernatorial candidate in New Hampshire. He had nothing good to say about Bolduck. So why do you think it's fair that MAGA can come out for Yunkin in the Virginia governor's race, was it a year ago? But the rhinos, they can sit at home and do nothing to help the MAGA candidate? That's not going to work. If MAGA is going to help the rhinos with their candidate after the primary is said and done, well, there should be some reciprocity or get out of the party because there's more MAGA in the Republican Party right now than rhinos. Leave. We don't need you because all you did is just undermine this election. And in these swing states or these purple areas, they, they you know, the Republicans, the, the RNC run an, ran an awful, awful campaign. Let's just start with abortion. The Democrats were able to frame the Republicans as being anti-abortion at all costs without a response. And that's campaigns 101. Do not let your opponent define you. But the RNC in these swing areas allowed the Democrats to define the Republican candidates. And I told you I had uh, volunteered on one of the uh, congressional campaigns here in New Jersey. Well, they started coming out with these uh, pieces attacking the Republican candidates, saying, oh, he wants no, ab- he wants abor- no abortions, period. No abortions, no response. Why, why are you responding to this? Well, we don't think it's an issue. Well, maybe an issue in this area. It's purple. And even if you're not going to respond with defining the Republican candidate, why don't you attack her? Why don't you say that the Democrat candidate wants late-term abortions? So if they're going to throw a bomb at you, you throw a bomb back at them. They don't want to do it. And there was absolutely no money thrown into these this campaign. I understand that the Democrats outspent the Republicans nationwide by massive amounts of money. But still, there, there's a civil war going on right now in the Republican Party. And when you take a look at what we've gained while Trump was being backstabbed by McConnell and a lot of these rhinos, the results were pretty good. Now, I've heard that some people are very, very discouraged over election night. And I think they got caught up in the PSYOP that was trying to be created to attack Trump. So you hear these stories, oh, you know, we have to dump Trump and uh, I've had enough of this. Well, you have to understand it's going to be, you know, two steps ahead, one step back. 
It's going to be a grind. This is not going to happen overnight. The opposition, the Uniparty, has had a 40-year, at least 40, 50-year advance on us. So we've got some catching up to do. And we're proceeding. We're winning. But it's not going to happen overnight. And even when we win, we're going to have to put a strong effort out to maintain this. Because there's a spiritual battle going on in this country and it's playing out in politics right now. And there's no putting your guard down during a battle. So don't get discouraged. Just put your nose to the grindstone and realize that that's what has to be done to win. So we'll see. You know, you hear uh, DeSantis's name out there and a, and a couple other people that want to run. I, I, You know, let them run. And the more the merrier for Trump, because I think uh, the more people that run in the primary, will just it'll just be a remake of 2016. And we'll see what happens. I like DeSantis. I think he's going to make a great president one day. If he can beat Trump in the primary, he's got my vote. But I don't think it's time to abandon Trump right now. Now, the other thing I think we have to take a look at is the mechanics of uh Election day or election period. The, the, the Democrats have such a good get out the vote operation. And it's made much easier with these mail-in ballots and the extension of uh, early voting. And I think we have to learn by that. You know, nobody likes the uh, mail-in ballots, but I think in some of these swing states, I think we have to learn a lesson from the Democrats. They have a, a great game day operation. They've got these union employees, these government employees, they've got these NGOs, and they know how to get out the vote. They target their vote. And this early voting process with the mail-in votes, it gives them time to constantly find which of their voters haven't voted. Then they go out and get them. So I think we have to do something similar, not in every state. With all this money that the Republican Party has, I think what they have to do is they have to get the equivalent equivalent of a Marine organization to target these areas for a get-out-the-vote campaign. The Republican Party needs to send a shock troop, need to send shock troops to these areas, bring in local elected officials, and then target a get-out-the-vote campaign. doesn't have to be done nationwide. But in these swing states and these purple areas, that's what has to be done. You're telling me we get billions and billions of dollars into the RNC and all these other organizations? And they want to spend them all on social media or advertisement? No, it has to be put in a get-out-the-vote campaign. And I've told you, I understand how the Democrats work on this. They have a wonderful operation when it comes to getting out the vote. They know their voter, they know their target, and they go get it. And that has to be done with the Republican Party. Because you can't be nice. Republican people are nice, most of them. Uh, The voter. They don't understand that there are people that this is a religion. This is a religion to the Democrats. And you can't fight this with being nice. Oh, I think I'll vote on Election Day. Maybe I'll call my cousin, make sure he votes. And if I can't make it, if the the weather's not good, maybe I'll, I'll do it next time. You can't do that. 
You can't do that against the Democrats. So the Republicans got to get a group of tough people, focused people, and send them out to these different states, swing states. They have to uh, draw in locals and get a strategy to get out the vote. And that may involve mail-in ballots and early ballots. We may have to do that. No one likes to mail-in ballots. I don't like to mail-in ballots. I think everything should be done paper ballot election day. No machines. My last episode, I mentioned what a horror show these machines were when I worked as a poll worker for the first time. But that's what has to be done. You can be nice and tough. And that's what we need in the Republican Party. And then we'll be able to counteract their get-out-the-vote operation. So we shall see. Now, what I want to do is I just want to play a clip. It's from uh, James Comer, the incoming chair of the House Oversight Committee. Just going to show you how important it was that we captured the House. So let me just play you this clip. And it has to do with the intentions of the House Oversight Committee come January of 2023 to investigate Joe Biden and his family. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, the president of the United States, and why he lied to the American people about his knowledge and participation in his family's international business schemes. National security interests require the committee conduct investigation and we will pursue all avenues, avenues that have long been ignored. Committee Republicans have uncovered evidence of federal crimes committed by and to the benefit of members of the president's family. These include conspiracy or defrauding the United States, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, violations of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, tax evasion, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. The Biden family's business dealings implicate a wide range of criminality from human trafficking to potential violations of the Constitution. In the 118th Congress, this committee will evaluate the status of Joe Biden's relationship with his family's foreign partners and whether he is a president who is compromised or swayed by foreign dollars and influence. I want to be clear. This is an investigation of Joe Biden, and that's where the committee will focus in this next Congress. And that's just one example of what's coming. Now we can expect an investigation into the FBI, Merrick Garland, the January 6th riot. Now it's funny, we may just take over the whole J6 hearing, and that should be really interesting. But I just want to warn you, it is going to get intense. And our expectation should be of our elected officials that they were going to follow through on this. This is no time to be nice. This is no time to throw an olive branch over to the Democrats at the expense of these hearings. We want these hearings. The American people want these hearings. And if any of your representatives start wavering on this, call their office. This is why it's so important that we win the House. So we shall see. Uh, Just a couple items. Lauren Boebert from Colorado officially won her seat. And I don't know if you remember election night when uh, all of the, the anti-Trumpers or on TV, all these pundits were saying, see, Bobert's losing. What a terrible night for MAGA. What a terrible night for Trump. And the whole implication for a day two after was that Bobert lost. 
But she didn't. It was just a sigh up on you that they intended to play on you. The second thing is Merrick Garland came out and appointed a special counsel to deal with Trump, with Mar-a-Lago, and with his, the J6 hearing. We'll get into this next week. And essentially, uh, he's saying because Trump announces a candidate, he's going to, he appointed the special counsel. Who knows? I think also you have to add to this. It's a way uh, that he can shield himself from some criticism by any of the hearings that the Republicans are going to have on his office and him. Again, we shall see. Sam Bankman-Fried. Remember that name. Bankman-Fried is the co-CEO of FTX Exchange, the cryptocurrency exchange that just went bankrupt. And he was exposed. Quite frankly, he's probably going to go to jail. Well, I take that back. He's so politically connected, he may not go to jail. But he's got problems. Now, the thing you have to remember also is that Bankman-Fried, next to George Soros, was the largest donor to the Democratic Party. And the millions and millions of dollars he contributed to the Democratic Party. So what Bankman-Fried did, what got him into hot water, is he started this FTX exchange, cryptocurrency exchange place where you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies. And I don't know if you've seen the commercials. You had Tom Brady hawking the exchange. You had Big Poppy hawking the exchange. A couple of other uh, actors, Larry David. And they're all getting sued, by the way. So what Bankman Freed did is he took funds that were deposited by his clients to purchase crypto and used those funds to fund Alameda Research, a cryptocurrency tra- trading company, which he also owned, which is illegal. You know, when you uh, buy cryptocurrency or you buy anything, stocks or anything, that's your property. That's your money. Those are your assets. But what Bankman Fried was doing, he was taking those funds and using it to fund Alameda Research, which is a crypto trading company that he had also owned and founded. And that's quite illegal. Lawyers get in trouble by doing this. They uh, sometimes dip into their clients' trust funds to fund their own operations of their law firms. For example, you know, occasionally you'll get uh, money put in trust by uh, clients of lawyers, and the lawyers are responsible for that money. But what gets these lawyers in trouble is when they start using it for their own operations of their own law firm or they use it for uh, personal uses. So you can't do that. And so the bankruptcy courts appointed a CEO to oversee FTX during this bankruptcy proceeding. He actually said, and I think he was involved with Enron, he said he's never seen anything as bad as this. There was lax accounting. They probably misappropriated billions of dollars and he's never seen anything like it. Now you got to take a look at Bankman Fried. Bankman Fried's about 30 years old. He he looks like a head with frizzy hair attached to a blob of skin. Just looks like a freak. Now I'm not sure if this was part of his shtick, but apparently he acted weird too. But my question is how does a 30-year-old guy get to become a billionaire? And how does the 30-year-old guy 
become the second largest donor to the Democratic Party behind George Soros. Now, take a couple of steps back. This uh, Freed grew up in a politically well-connected family who had ties to everyone that ran in these Democratic circles, high-end circles. And I'm sure his parents helped him get, put him in contact with people that would donate money to him. But why were they so eager to donate money to him? Why? That's the thing that I get. There were hedge funds. I think it was Sequoia Hedge Fund that performed very little due diligence on this company. Yet they gave him so much money. And why did they do that? Why did these people, these investors look the other way? I think they went to Elon Musk and Elon Musk said, no, he goes, I know BS when I see BS. And this was BS. And that's the thing that gets me. Why? These hedge funds, these supposedly sophisticated hedge funds, funded FTX with a 30-year-old, big head, floppy body nerd with no financials. Something's going on here. Now, a conspiracy theorist may say, well, they knew about it because the money eventually is going to flow into Democratic coffers and so they can circumvent certain campaign laws. Campaign finance laws, because there are a lot of things out there. But there's a lot of questions of why. And secondly, there's a, the other issue here. There was a connection between FTX and Ukraine. Apparently, there was uh, some type of theory that came out that, oh, well, you know, uh, Ukraine was funding FTX. And I don't think that was the case. What FTX did is they set up or helped set up a, a site where individuals could donate to Ukraine. And FTX ha helped convert the cryptocurrency that was being donated into the local currency of Ukraine. Now, here's what I want to know with that connection. Was Ukraine paying for the services of FTX? I'd like to know that. So if you had a huge campaign contributor to the Democratic Party setting up a site where people could donate to Ukraine in cryptocurrency and then taking a fee from it, I think that's problematic. And secondly, I want to know who contributed and I'd like to know what Ukraine was doing once they got this money and what was the arrangement that Ukraine had with FTX. Because we all know, look, Ukraine's corrupt. Just because they're in a war doesn't make them less corrupt. And what are they doing that money? So in a related note, the incoming uh, Republicans, they want to have an audit of the money that's gone to Ukraine from the federal government. Now, from FTX, if they can also audit the FTX money as part of the um, uh, bankruptcy proceeding, that's fine. But the Republicans that are coming in, they want to audit the money that the federal government has been giving to Ukraine. Because there's been stories out there about the oligarchs skimming some of that money off the top, keeping it for themselves, or taking some of the equipment that was given to them and selling it on the black market to other countries. So the Republicans want to audit that. And the Democrats are up in the air. Why? Why do you want to do that? That's terrible. Because it's basic accounting. It's what Congress is supposed to do. It's called oversight. If we're spending money on any country, we want an audit. 
We don't want to know where it's going and how it's getting there, what's being spent, what is missing, because we don't want to end up where we were with, and I think it was Iraq or Afghanistan. Remember all that billions of dollars that the Defense Department could not account for? I think it was billions of dollars that went into one of those two countries, and Department of Defense or the Army just can't account for it. Well, we want an accounting here with Ukraine, and there's nothing wrong with that. But getting back to FTX, there's more to this story. A lot's going to come out in the uh, bankruptcy proceedings. But my question is, and my biggest question is, how could these so-called legitimate venture capitalists, investors, perform no due diligence on FTX and give them so much money to run this scam? And I want to know, did they know that this guy, Bankman Freed, was a big donator to the Democrats? And if that's the case, it's just, is it just wheeling money, wheeling campaign contributions on a much higher level? So we shall see. So earlier this week, Ukraine and the U.S. press tried their darndest to get us into World War III. So Ukraine had shot two missiles into Poland, killing two people. And Volodymyr Zelensky either makes a speech or comes out and makes a tweet that, oh, you see, this is Russians. Russia did this. We have to do something against this. I told you Russia was going to do this. And then you had the AP jump all over it. Russia shoots two missiles into Poland, kills two people. What's next? The only problem, it didn't happen. The two missiles were shot by Ukraine. And the AP had to come out with a correction the next day. Oh, we're sorry. At first we said it was Russia, but it wasn't Russia. It was actually Ukraine. Well, we lucked out this time. Maybe next time they won't have time to make a correction because we'll be in a nuclear war. But I told you in, in earlier episodes that I was always concerned about some type of false flag in the form of a missile or some kind of incursion into a NATO country that was generated by either Ukraine or the CIA or some type of operative from one of these countries, one of the Western countries. Now, quite frankly, I, I don't know if this was an accident by Ukraine. Because in spite of what you're seeing from Western media, I, I don't think things are going very well for Ukraine. Russia controls 20% of their country. They've annexed 20% of their country. Russia controls the skies. They're bombing your capital every other night. You have to have an agreement with Russia in order to sell your grain. That doesn't sound much like winning. And I, and I feel sorry for Zelensky in the sense that he, he's got no way out on this. He's got to continue fighting. He's got to grind his country to stone because if he settles, and it's a fantasy, he's in a fantasy world if he thinks that he's going to push Russia out of Crimea, out of the Donbass region. It's just a fantasy world. He's getting his people killed. But if he settles and he gives Russia the Donbass region, Crimea, all the other areas where they took, Ukrainian people are going to go ballistic. They're going to say, wait a second. We could have settled this and avoided a war. We could have given in the Donbass region. We could have guaranteed that to them that we wouldn't join NATO. And we went to war over this. And now you're settling for what Russia wanted initially? All of this could have been avoided? Remember, I guess it was two or three episodes ago, people in uh, Ukraine were getting upset because there were 190,000 troops surrounding his country. And he said the Russians were going to attack. And people were upset about that. Ukrainians were upset about that. 
And now I hear NATO is ticked off at Zelensky because he keeps on saying, no, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. It was the Russians. Bomb the Russians. It wasn't us. So maybe NATO's starting to get fed up with Zelensky. And it's funny. How ironic is it? You've got Zelensky and Sam Bankman-Fried were to appear together at a New York Times event. It says here, and this is from the New York Post, it says, disgraced FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is scheduled to speak at an exclusive conference hosted by the New York Times alongside Ukrainian President Zelensky and Janet Yellen. It's called the Deal Book Summit, November 30th. So isn't that ironic? And I just find it so unique, so interesting about this society right now. Everything's great until it's not. Sam Barkman-Fried is the greatest thing until he's not. And I think the same thing's going to happen to Zelensky. It's unfortunate, but I think that's what's going to happen. So we shall see. Now, I think things are going to get tougher for many Americans in the upcoming year. And a couple of things I wanted to point out is uh, from some economic data that came out on Tuesday. The two items I wanted to talk about right now, it's called real household debt. And that's the total amount of um, uh, debt a household is carrying, which includes credit cards, student loans, auto loans, uh, mortgages also. And in the third quarter, that was up 6.9% versus the third quarter of last year. And then when you isolate real mortgage debt, that's up 8.2% in the third quarter, as opposed to the third quarter of last year. And that's a lot. And if you've noticed that, as I've said in the past, the consumer generates about 70%, approximately 70% of the economy. And everything that we're seeing is that people are putting more and more money on their credit cards. And I think this report included all a credit card amount that is at a 20-year high. And again, this is the only thing that's going, uh, keeping the consumer going. So as inflation puts pressure on the consumer, they're putting more and more money on their credit cards. And they're also faced with a 19% credit card interest rate, which hasn't been, been seen, I think, since the 1980s. So it's really pushing Americans into a corner here. And then when you have these announcements of layoffs coming and you have everybody giving us an indication that the economy is going to slow down even more than it is now. Now, remember, our first two quarters of 2022 had our economy contracting. And again, this is not good. And I want to go to an article here. And this is from Zero Hedge. The headline says, U.S. consumers are doing exactly what they did just prior to the crash of 2008. And it says here, we never seem to learn from our mistakes. Just before the financial markets crashed and the economy plunged into a horrifying recession in 2008, U.S. consumers went on a debt binge of epic proportions. Mortgage debt, auto loans debt, and credit card debt all skyrocketed. And so when the economy finally crashed, All of a sudden, there were millions of Americans drowning in bills that they were unable to pay. Well, now it's happening again. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, during the third quarter of 2022, household debt increased at the fastest pace that we've seen since the first 
quarter of 2008. So that's not very encouraging. Second article I wanted to read, it's from CNBC. It says here, 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, heading into the peak shopping season. It says here, just as the holiday season gets into full swing, families are finding less slack in their budgets than before. As of October 2022, 60% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck, according to a recent Lending Club report. A year ago, the number of adults who felt stretched too thin was closer to 56%. More consumers who have historically managed their budgets comfortably are feeling the financial strain which will impact their spending behavior as we head into the holiday season, said Lending Club's financial health officer. And it says here, more consumers also plan to finance their purchases this year with credit cards and buy now, pay later loans. So they're expected to go further into debt. And when you match this up with the fact that there is going to be some layoffs coming on in 2023, we're looking at some very difficult times for many, many Americans. So all I can say right now, any recommendation... Get out of debt, Get particularly get out of your credit card debt right now. Get out of it as fast as you can. If you have to buy less during the holidays, do it. And that's my only recommendation right now. You know, I really like what Elon Musk is doing right now at Twitter. Now, it's kind of chaotic what's going on. He's fast-tracking this transition. But I think at the end of the day, he's going to show everybody that he can run this company with less than half the staff that they had beforehand. I think they had 7,500 employees prior to Musk taking over, and I think he laid off half of that. And then uh, this week he had sent an email to the remaining manager saying, hey, look, I want a commitment from you. I want you to commit to me, commit to this company that you're going to work very hard. I think he used the word hardcore. You're going to be hardcore when it comes to Twitter. And I think a number of employees left after that. But this is what I like about Musk. I don't like everything about Musk, but I do like his sense of hard work. His expectation from his employees is that they are going to work in the office, no more working at home, no more working at re- remotely, unless there's an exceptional employee, and you're going to work hard when you're here. And I just got this sense that these employees at Twitter prior, pre-Musk, really weren't stressed out. They weren't real hard workers. They went through the motions every day, got some things done. But at the end of the day, they really weren't what you would call hardworking individuals. Whether it's through their schooling, their training, their upbringing. I think these people at Twitter think they work a lot harder than they actually do. And I think Musk is exposing this. And you got to like Musk. It's quite American to want to work hard because if you work hard in this country, you'll be successful. And Musk realizes this. And his expectation is that people that work for him will work hard. And he sets a good example. I think he sleeps four hours a day. He's running three companies right now. But again, I think at the end of the day, he's going to show everybody that you can run this company, Twitter, with far less employees than were on the payroll. And it made perfect sense. company was losing money every year. So my kudos to Elon Musk for what he's doing. Now, it's going to be chaotic. It's not going to be perfect. But I'll tell you, at the end of the day, Musk is going to win. 
He's got a lot of experience building companies. So I don't think Twitter is going to be a big hurdle for him. May, may take time. There may be mistakes, but at the end of the day, he's going to win. And in spite of the naysayers, in spite of Hollywood, and in spite of some of the laid-off engineers trying to sabotage the company, he's going to win. And I'm rooting for Musk in this one. Okay, let's do my loser of the week. And quite frankly, this is my easiest pick. My loser of the week for this week is Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi announced this week that she will no longer seek a leadership position in the Democratic Party in the House. So we know that the results of the 2022 midterms have resulted in her no longer being the speaker. But she took it a step further. She said, I'm not going to seek any leadership position within the Democratic Party. And what do I think of when I think of Nancy Pelosi? I think of an ethically compromised swamp creature. She's presided over the managed dismantling of the American society, the American economy, and the country overall. She let her hatred for Donald Trump interfere with her making decisions for the betterment of the country. Perfect example is she refused to do any infrastructure bill, a real infrastructure bill, with Trump because of her hatred. And she didn't want Trump to get any win close to the presidential election. Remember she tore up Trump's speech during his State of the Union address? Oh, that was a classy move, Nancy. And did I mention the spending spray? All the money that this country spent while she was in leadership positions in the House of Representatives. What's our debt now? $31 trillion and going up? A lot of that is because of you, Nancy. And I, to this moment, I still don't know what the heck's going on with your husband. Maybe you can talk about it. But for those reasons, Nancy Pelosi is my loser of the week. Okay, let's take a quick look at the market. And this is from CNBC. It says the major averages ticked higher in afternoon trading Friday to end the day on an upbeat note as investors assessed tougher language from Federal Reserve speakers and poured over the latest earnings reports. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 199.37 points, or 0.59%, to 33,745.69, while the S&P 500 climbed 0.48% to 3,965.34. The Nasdaq Composite finished just 0.01% above the flat line at 11,146.06. All of the major averages posted losses for the week. The Dow Jones ended 0.01% lower. The S&P 500 lost 0.69% for the week, while the NASDAQ ended 1.57% lower. And year-to-date, the Dow is down 7.13%. The S&P is down 16.8%. And the NASDAQ is down 28%. Seven, six. Uh, let's take a quick look at the next week's calendar. It's a light week because we have Thanksgiving. And I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving. And what we have on Wednesday, we have durable good orders. We have core capital equipment orders. Uh, we have our initial jobless claims and continuing jobless claims. We have the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. We have this S&P Manufacturing and Services PMI. And we have new home sales. 
And then on Thursday, we have Thanksgiving. And then on Friday, we have nothing scheduled. And with that said, you have a good week. I hope you really do enjoy Thanksgiving. I think when things are tough, I think you appreciate and people appreciate uh, their friends and family a little more. And I hope you have nice turkey with your friends and family. You have a good week. You have a good holiday. And I will see you next Saturday.